0: Welcome everybody to another episode of the Happy Hippie Homestead Podcast. I'm your host, Gabby Juba, helping you find happiness and joy on your homesteading journey. I will, before we kick too much into this episode, I am sick right now. I went to a music festival for four days last weekend, and it's not COVID, but um, apparently festival flu is a thing, and I totally have it. So I've got a stuffy nose, lots of congestion. I was running a fever first thing this morning, but I've been taking medication to try to help with the congestion and the fever, so I am feeling good enough to get this episode out, so it's a little later than normal. I should have recorded this when I was driving home Monday, but I started to not feel good, so I didn't really want to but we are here, we are doing it today. This is episode 29. I am outside again, but I'm using my headset with my noise-canceling microphone. So if a car drives by, hopefully we won't really be able to hear it in the audio. And I'm usually outside quite a bit. Number one, I feel sick, so the sunlight feels really good. Number two, Harley Quinn loves sunbays, so that's what she's doing right now is just soaking up the sun. I think It's in the high 60s, low 70s today, so just perfect weather to kind of be outside. This is episode 29, I believe, and today is Wednesday, September 28th, 2022, and we're going to be talking about permaculture, again, and the zones that you can have in permaculture. So now we've talked about permaculture a lot i've done quite a few episodes on permaculture it's something that i really love and i'm passionate about um Permaculture, just a quick reminder in case you haven't listened to the other episodes on permaculture before, but this one piqued your interest for whatever reason, or maybe you listened to the episodes, but it's been a few weeks, so you don't exactly remember what the word means, but you've heard the word before. So permaculture is essentially permanent agriculture, which can lead to permanent culture. And permaculture can also be a design science for your property but it can also be a design science for your life. So I've done an episode about the three ethics of permaculture and how that applies to your life in general. I've done an episode on the eight forms of capital and how that applies directly to your life. I can, I'm can. i going to put a link to those in the show notes for you. I also did Permaculture 101, where I kind of briefly touched on all these topics and kind of how they relate together. I don't know if I quite got the point across with how it relates together, but I figured a standalone episode would be great for this. I think I try. Yeah, I did try to put this together with the three ethics episodes only for the three ethics episode to go well over a half an hour so I kind of cut it off and saved this one for a different day so it is perfect for a day like today when I'm not really feeling the greatest so if this happens to be a little less than 30 minutes I do apologize but there should be some good information in here so for me the ethics and the eight forms of capital apply directly to your life, how you can design your life and make it what you want to make it. But for me, the zones that are part of permaculture, these zones, I think, apply directly more to your property than they do to your life as a whole. Now, I do think your property affects your life, but these zones are more in the weeds with the design science part of permaculture with designing your property permaculture being a design science there's so much more than just the zones you've got all these different tools that you can use on your property like aquaculture and all these different types of garden beds you can have on your property all these different types of composting systems you can have on your property So there's so many different pieces you can put in. You can have livestock, you can have trees, you can have bushes, you can have annuals or preannuals. There's so many different tools, techniques that you can add into your property, which kind of has something to do with the zones, but that's kind of its own separate topic as well. So I would love to go more into tools behind permaculture. I feel like that can be multiple episodes all by itself because you've got things like rocket mass heaters, which are ways to heat your home without using any inputs from the grid. You've got solar can apply to permaculture and be a tool that you use. You can make a solar food dehydrator yourself without any solar panels like there are so many cool things that fall under the tools section of permaculture i will throw in right here that if you're really interested in like the cob style ovens that you can build outside where it Takes in the energy from the sun, and you can cook and bake in there. If you're interested in things like rocket mass heaters, cob style ovens, outdoor solar food dehydrators, which I think is awesome, and I would love to have one. Um, Somebody who's really big into these tools, um, especially the things that you build versus just planting a tree in the ground and pruning it properly, you know, that's a whole nother piece of permaculture. There are people that actually in small suburban backyards have a bunch of fruit trees and you might be thinking aren't some fruit trees freaking huge. Absolutely, there are certain types of fruit trees that can grow to be 20 plus feet tall and produce more pounds than I even know what to do with of that type of fruit. But it's about the way that you prune them. I believe you prune them a few times throughout the year and they stay about your height, if not just a little taller than your height as a human being. And you can do that. And it produces just enough produce for you and your family and you can grow it on a smaller scale and you don't need acres and acres of land to have these amazing, fruits and this these amazing trees and the amazing produce so that's a whole nother tool and technique that we could go into but if you like more of the hands-on building something building a cob oven building a rocket mass heater building a food dehydrator i will point you towards paul wheaton i will try to i will link to his stuff as well on here i know i bought from him he did a kickstarter recently for rocket mass heaters in particular and to me rocket mass heaters are this really amazing concept that i would love to get behind Well, I do get behind. I don't have one in my house, but I would love to have some in my house. So I paid for a Kickstarter and I got a movie and some PDFs, things like that. Haven't watched it yet. I am slacking a little bit on that side of things, but I will point you to him and his stuff. He's constantly having great deals where he gives away. All this awesome knowledge. I believe he's up in Montana. So kind of up in the boonies there a little bit, but he's huge into the permaculture and the building, the awesome tools that are eco-friendly and that use a lot of passive inputs to make these amazing products. So that's a side note there. So some basics about designing your property, I just kind of hit a little bit on some tools you can do and I will do more episodes on the different tools like I think just garden beds alone can be a whole separate episode talking about the different types of garden beds the pros and cons. This episode is going to be more about the zones that are in permaculture. To me, this is the highest level of designing your property is coming up with the zones. Once you figure out where your zones are on your property, you can figure out what tools you want and need and where you put them on your property. You don't want to come up with a list of these 17 things you want to put on your property and then haphazardly place them all throughout your property. And what I mean by that is if you want an awesome garden bed full of herbs that you're gonna use to cook with instead of buy fresh herbs from the, from the store, you don't want that herb garden bed to be two acres away from your kitchen. <laughs> because if that garden bed with all your fresh herbs you plan on cooking with is two acres away from your kitchen, you're not walking all the way out there to go pick a handful of fresh basil to come back in and cook with. It's just not happening. And maybe you're thinking, I don't have two acres. I personally have 0.2 of an acre, but still I don't want my herb bed all the way in the back corner of my property where I'm not going to see it every day. I'm going to forget that it's there. I won't pull the weeds. I won't actually use the herbs. There are so many reasons why you want to design this so you put certain things closer to your house and other things further away. Maybe you're on point two of an acre and you want chickens. You don't need the chickens in your way on the direct path to get to your car if you go to work every day. You don't want to be tripping over them and walking around a bunch of things, but you want them close enough so you can go take care of them. You could refill their water. You can let them out. Whatever it is you need to do with your chickens. So it's all about the designing and the zones. So there are some other basic things behind designing your property in permaculture, like patterns. And when I say patterns, what I mean by that is The sun. So patterns, vectors, and sectors. I won't go too far into that. I think these things can be, yet again, a whole other episode. But the patterns, vectors, and sectors, I want you to think about solar. Where does the sun come up and go down on your property? what do the shadows do from trees and buildings on your property throughout the day and think about the same thing not just with sun but with wind do you have a really windy side of your house do you have a really sunny side of your house same thing with the rain, maybe you've got one spot where there should be a downstop, but there's not, and water just pours over off your roof into this one spot on your yard. You maybe don't wanna put some little seedlings under there because of the way the water runs. Or maybe you're on the hill and the water runs downhill easily. These all factor into how you design your property. So we're gonna come circling back to the zones. So what are the zones? I want you to think of the zones if you were looking at a picture of your property, or maybe you're standing on your property physically looking at it. I want you to think of it like a map. You've got some kind of a map of your property, and a zone is literally what it sounds like Think of it like having boundaries. These don't have to be hard boundaries. These don't have to be lines you draw in. They could be. You don't also have to make these zones perfectly shaped where each one's a perfect circle or a perfect rectangle or a perfect square. They can contour and do all this crazy stuff if you want or need them to, depending on what your property looks like. I feel like every property I've lived on so far has been a perfect square or a rectangle, But when I did my PDC for the last property I lived on, my zones were not perfect rectangles to fit within my rectangular piece of property. That's just not what they looked like. So these zones can be all different shapes and sizes. Some zones can be bigger than other zones. And some of the zones maybe don't exist on your property if it's small enough, and that's okay too. You don't have to have each and every zone just because they're there. So there are essentially six zones. So the first zone is zone zero. Zone zero is your house, or I've seen zone zero be yourself as well. So zone zero is where you spend the most amount of time. Yes, you may have a day job where you go drive to, and that's really where you spend the most amount of your time. But when you're not at your day job, if you have one of those, where do you spend most of your time? it's inside your house. Even if the weather's beautiful outside and you try to spend more time outside than not, like me right now, I'm outside, but I'm on my front porch, which is connected to my house. I will say you also sleep inside your house and that's eight hours right there of your day, maybe eight hours, maybe a little more, maybe a little less. So zone zero is the house that's where you do the cooking that's where you do your sleeping you're relaxing it's the house it's you number zone number one is the next zone think of this as kind of pushing just outside of your house depending on your piece of property this can be a bigger bubble around your house or it can be a little small bubble around your house this is somewhere on your property outside that you frequently visit so i want you to think about maybe there's a walking path to get from your front door to your car that would be around where your first zone is around that house when you first step onto the property to get to your car so think about where you go the most like i've got a front door and a side door i almost never go out the side door I almost always go out the front door. So to me, my zone one is definitely up in the front of my house near that front door. I'm there all the time. So what do you want to put in your zone one? You want to put something that's going to kind of need maybe not daily attendance, but if you're walking past it anyway, every day, you may as well do something in there. So this is where you could put something like your herb garden for your kitchen if you want to cook daily I know I uh, batch cook so I only cook once a week maybe twice a week so I'm not really in my herb garden that often but I do have an end zone one right by my front door so I see it every day I can see if something's happening are bugs eating it do I need to add to water my garden today which I would love to not have to water my garden. I'm looking into options for next year. So I don't have to water my garden on a frequent basis, even though I know I mentioned (coughs) that we get 90 inches of rain. It is not a consistent, nice and even 90 inches. Like, I don't think we've seen rain now for probably a week and a half. So I've definitely given my garden a little bit of water, um, So think of zone one as a place you go to every day, just naturally. And that's where you want to put stuff you're going to need to do every day. Like your, if you decide to have something like chickens, where you want to, you have to give them water, you have to maybe give them some kind of food, depending on how much land they have to forage on. You're going to want the chickens near your zone one. They don't have to be in zone one, but somewhere where you visit on a daily basis. Your zone two is going to be places you visit two to three times a week, maybe four. Think of this as your food production. If you've got some kind of a greenhouse, maybe a market crop, maybe you're selling some stuff to bring to the farmer's market. So that would be your zone two. So zone two, there's no approximate amount of feet. It has to be away from zone one. It can be wherever you want it to be. Like I know my food production. So I've got my herb garden right down my ramp and right by my front gate. And then I've got further food production just like a foot or two away from that. So it's not very far where my food production is, where I have kale growing. And I had all my tomatoes growing. And right now I've got some cabbage and some beets and some carrots. So that's a little further away than zone one because I don't need to be there every day. But I do want to kind of look and see what's happening, thankfully. And not thankfully, my property is so small, standing on my front porch right now. I can easily see each and every one of my garden beds really nice and clearly so I can tell if they need water or if there's some type of pest eating, whatever it is that I'm growing. But zone two, somewhere you're going to visit two to three times a week. So yet again, for me, that's not the side door. I never go out the side door. I needed that to kind of be in the front still. So it's a little more manageable for me. Oh, Harley's barking. Hold on. Okay, we're gonna keep going. She should stop barking a second. She enjoys barking at the neighbor here. Okay, I thought she would stop and she didn't. So she enjoy Harley Quinn enjoys barking at the neighbor. I've got a shared gravel driveway. So anytime the neighbor drives up the driveway or down the driveway, Harley enjoys chasing their car down the driveway, barking at the car. I don't know what she thinks she's doing, if she thinks she's defending the property or if she thinks she's playing with the car. I'm unsure with her. She's my little psycho. If she's trying to eat the car or if she just wants to play, I don't know. Half the time. Um, but anyway, we were talking about zone two being your food production, market crop, your greenhouse, if you have a greenhouse. The next zone that you can have is zone three, which is something you occasionally visit, maybe once a week, maybe twice a week or so, depending on what it is, how far it is from your house. So zone three, I want you to think of that as your trees. If you've got production trees, like I mentioned, if you maybe grow apple trees or any type of nut tree or fruit tree on your property, if you have big open pasture, you, of course, if you have pasture that you're, you have animals on, you definitely probably want to get out there more than once a week, depending on what you have for the pasture, <coughs> animal-wise, because you may need to top off their water, give them food, things like that. Depending on the methods you're using to raise those animals would determine where you put them in your zones system and where you actually design your property So maybe you want your animals to be considered zone one. So your zone one is bigger than zone two. Maybe you want your animals to be in zone two. So your zone two is bigger than your zone three. Depends on what's on your property and what you actually need. But the important part to remember with zone three is it's somewhere where you occasionally visit. Doesn't require as much maintenance, doesn't require as much hands-on. So this can be... Trees, pasture, cash crops, things along those lines. I did mention market crops in zone two and cash crops in zone three. For people that may not be super familiar with farming, that can sound confusing because a crop could be a crop, you know, but a market crop is essentially what you're bringing to a market garden. And a lot of times farmers markets, especially when it's in season in the spring and summertime, maybe even in the fall, a lot of farmer's markets will be Tuesdays and Saturdays. So you're out there at least twice a week harvesting for the market or harvesting for a CSA. Um, But your cash crops would be if you grow something like tobacco or if you grow corn or wheat, where it just gets harvested, one big field of it all at one time. I will say permaculture is not that it's against cash crops. You could plant multiple cash crops in the same field so you're interplanting, but it's the same kind of idea where a cash crop is something you're kind of harvesting all at once and it's not a lot of cut and come again like your lettuce is to bring to market or your kale's cut and come again. So that's how I want you to think about the difference between a market crop taken to the farmer's market every, at least once a week, if not twice a week, cash crop, harvest it all at one time. Number Zone number four, think about this as being even further away from your house. Now I will say you may not have a zone four or a zone five, depending on your property. So zone four is animal care. If you've got bigger animals that you don't have to visit as often, you want them further from the house for whatever reason, your wild food. So if you just have wild blueberry bushes that happen to grow on your property, this is where zone four is, is the wild food. (sighs) Zone four can also be more pasture land and it can also be timber. If you're growing oak or maple, things like that, So I mentioned trees as being in zone three, but timber in zone four. When I think about trees in zone three, I think about those trees that give you fruits and nuts. The ones you're going to be harvesting for a season, at least once a year, you're going to want to check for pests, check for diseases, depending on the type of tree and your climate, you might have to spray something. It's up to you if you want to use sprays, If you want to make them organic, those are all choices you get to make for your trees. But when I hear trees in zone three, I think of those trees are touching every single year because they're producing for you over and over and over again every year. And you're going to need to keep an eye on Did the tree put on blossoms and a frost came through and killed them all? Now you know you're not going to get that fruit or nut this year. Mostly fruits do that a lot, though. Um, Timber, I want you to think about timber that we use to build build homes, things along those lines. That's more of what timber is, is you let it grow for 20 years, you chop them all down. So that's definitely a zone four where maybe you want to look at it. Maybe you want to walk out there once a week. Maybe you want to walk out there once a month. Whatever it is that you're growing depends, I think, on what you want to do with it. If I had wild food growing mixed with timber, I would probably be out there more often than once a month. But depending on what the wild food is, you know what the season is for that food. Like for me, where I live right now... The berries, blackberries, raspberries, blueberries, they all grow super well in my climate, but they only grow really in the summer. So if I had those wild bushes growing, I don't really need to walk out there in January because they're not going to be doing anything for me. So that's the reasoning behind putting all that in zone four, making that zone four. So, I know when you hear wild food, you can't really put that somewhere. If it's there, it's there. Sure, you can reintroduce some native wild species that are, you know, native to your area. But if it's already there, then you know on your property that's your zone four. You can plan around that being zone four. So, the last zone that we have here is zone five. So, zone five. I definitely don't have on my property. I don't even have a zone four on my property. I think I maybe have a zone three, um, but I don't really do much with my zone three. So zone five is the true wilderness. This is where you can actually go out there and observe nature the plants, the animals, everything that's out there. You can bathe in it, just be out in nature. You also can get new ideas for your property out in nature because that's one of the benefits of permaculture is working with nature, designing like nature and not taking nature and designing the exact opposite of what nature is. That's not what permaculture is. The goal is to learn from nature, work with nature, and not against it. So if you are lucky enough to have a zone five on your property, I think that is amazing. I would love to have a property with a zone five where I can go do hiking on my property, just be in nature. So since I've talked about the zones a little bit here, I do want to bring up kind of what my property looks like. And yet again, this is a design science. There's no one right or wrong answer here for what your property looks like, because I'm pretty sure you could take three, four, five different people, give them the same blank slate of a property, and they would all come up with similar but different designs. So I don't want you to stress out about, oh, my God, what if I put this in the wrong spot? If you think about it in terms of zones, you're not going to put it in, wrong, in a wrong spot. Like if your property is big, wide open land. Um, so, I'll, for example, my property, I'm on 0.2 of an acre my beautiful south-facing lawn that I have on the side of my house is the whole thing is a septic drain field. So I originally, because my property is so small, was going to make that one big, beautiful garden. Big and beautiful. But because of the limitations of my property, I couldn't do that for a lot of reasons. Um, with septic drain fields, you can grow over them like there's grass right now over my septic drain field but the issue is with growing food production depending on what you're growing the roots can grow far enough down that they will damage the piping that's in the septic drain field is issue number one issue number two the goal behind a septic drain field. So when you go to the bathroom or you shower, you wash clothes in your washer. If you have a dishwasher, you use your dishwasher. All of that water and the waste gets put into your septic tank, which then goes through the tubing into the septic drain field. And the goal is that the ground essentially takes your waste and absorbs it and gets rid of the toxicity that can be in there. So sure, if you're using natural detergents and soaps, that's what makes your shower water, your sink water, and your washing machine water considered quote unquote gray water instead of black water. Your black water is really what comes from the toilet. So the goal is the ground essentially takes that black water and absorbs it and makes the process nice and finishes it off. But if your roots are going far enough down, they're gonna tap into that black water before it's finished being absorbed by the ground, which can then lead to you getting sick from eating those crops that then absorb that black water. So it's really not a great thing to grow a garden right on top of a septic drain field. I did some research. I could have done some raised garden beds. But the issue is if I was growing a large tomato plant, I was going to need like a three plus foot raised bed to compensate for the roots that are on those huge tomato plants. And my issue is I live in a very rural area, so trying to get dirt, mulch, compost, the things that I needed to get this started was very expensive because I was looking to do this right as fuel prices were stupid, stupid, stupid high. So the delivery charges alone were way more than the cost of the amount of dirt or mulch or compost was that I needed. So for me, that didn't make a lot of sense, so I didn't design my property that way. Somebody else could have, so I kind of went down a tangent here, but what I'm trying to say is your property is going to have its own limitations, not just the size, but a limitation can be the sun. Maybe you're on a very, very shady piece of property. You can only do so much without cutting some trees down. You can cut trees down. There's nothing wrong with that. Um, So how did I design around the septic drain field that is the whole south-facing part of my lawn is I put my garden in my front yard instead of my side yard. And that's okay. It worked for me. And that's how I designed around that. But what I'm also saying is me being on 0.2 of an acre, I'm not going to design in a zone four and a zone five on my piece of property. I'm not going to all of a sudden plant a shit ton of timber on my property and expect that to be beneficial for me in any way, shape, or form. That's not how this works either. So this is where the zones can come in handy because it can allow you to look realistically at your property and say, maybe you want this, 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 this. You want a garden. You want a greenhouse. You want fruit trees, nut trees. You've got all these big ideas, but the zones are the first stepping stone that are going to allow you to take a step back and say, where can I put this on my property? Does this fit in with a piece of property that I have? I did mention there are people in suburban <coughs> settings that have fruit trees and they prune them and keep them small so they can have seven, eight, nine, ten different varieties of fruit trees. It is possible. So I'm not saying if you're on 0.2 or 0.1 of an acre, you can't have a fruit tree because you absolutely can. You just have to be more creative with your design if you're on a smaller piece of property, depending on what you want to need. So the zones can be a very helpful way for you to get started. This, to me, the zones prevent you from making big mistakes in your design, and that's why a lot of permaculture courses will talk about the zones first and the tools later, because the tools are great, you know, like a cob oven and a greenhouse and beautiful fruit trees and timber trees and all these different types of garden beds. All of those are really exciting and it's so easy to kind of get swept up in that and say, I want this and this and this and this and this and I'm just going to put it all haphazardly around. But the goal is to teach you how to look at the property first, then introduce the tools so you can realistically, you've already realistically looked at your property so you can put the tools where they belong on your property so there are so many different ways to go with this ways to stem off this but i think i've kind of beat up tools enough for right now and not tools sorry um i think i've beat up zones enough for today so zones are really the to me the first step in designing your property Taking a look at where are your zones, what are your zones, what's available on your property, and then we can go from there. So I will do some more permaculture episodes where we talk about identifying patterns and vectors and sectors and we'll definitely talk more about the tools so for now i'll link to my previous episodes about permaculture in case you need a refresh or maybe you didn't listen to them before but you want to listen to them now and i'll link to some of paul wheaton's stuff as well because he does a great job he does a great job with some of his stuff and his prices are super reasonable for the value that he's given So I really do like Paul Wheaton. So that is all I have for today. Hopefully ah, Friday I won't be as congested and I'll be feeling a little bit better and we'll do something completely different for a topic. So thank you for listening to another episode of the happy hippie homestead podcast. I'm your host, Gabby Juba. Um, Like us on Facebook or follow us on Instagram. And please feel free to share these episodes with anybody that you think may like these episodes. So in the past seven days, we've had 30 different people listen to the Happy Hippie Homestead podcast, which is really cool because I'm not, at this point when it was like seven or eight listeners, I could have guessed who those seven or eight were. But at this point with it being 30, I couldn't guess who it is or who it is is not. So thank you for listening. Please feel free to share. I would love to hit a hundred listeners, a thousand listeners, like make this as big as it possibly can be so I can start offering other products as well. So stay tuned for the next episode on Friday.